Well, hello and welcome to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast. Back in action, of course, for 2020. And this week on the pod, we were discussing the opening round of group stage fixtures in the Copa Libertadores. And uh, yeah, there was plenty to chew on. The group of death, we talked about upsets, away wins, uh, and everything in between. It was really, really interesting. And we had a little peek uh, at the fixtures to come as well. Uh, on the pod this week, it was myself, David Windsor, and Mr. Oliver Wilson. That went all right, Ollie. Yeah, I get the uh, the formal introduction. Oliver, Mr. Oliver Wilson uh, today. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's a lot. 16 games. I was thinking as well, this is the first time we've done a full round of group games analysis. So, uh, yeah, because we, we obviously started the podcast last year in the knockout stages and did a brief wrap up of the groups, I think, in the build up to the knockout stages. But yeah, this is this is the first these first two podcasts, are the first two like big heavy doses of uh, Copa Libertadores football from across the spectrum, across the whole continent, not just the big guns in the knockout stages. So it was a lot of fun, mm. though. There's been a lot of games and a lot, as you say, to chew over. Um, and, a, and a couple of people joining on the pod as well, which was always quite nice to take a bit of the analysis pressure off. Yeah, of course, we had uh, we had Lucas, the Racing season ticket holder, and Flamengo fan, uh, Pedro, who you will have heard before on the podcast, London-based, but Rio-born uh, Pedro. So, yeah, myself and Mr. Oliver Wilson were in uh, Buenos Aires, beautiful, sunny Buenos Aires. I have, you said it best, Oliver, when you said you haven't seen a cloud in about a month, and that is genuinely true. It's been that gorgeous here. So, so nice. And tonight, Oli, we are off to La Bombonera. We will, of course, have our Libertadores caps on, but we're going to be watching Boca in the final round of group games in the Argentine Superliga, where Boca can still win the title. Yeah, it's uh, it's a massive moment. I'm definitely wearing a Boca cap rather than a Libertadores cap because I, I, I don't know how Boca fans feel about uh, South American football outside of their small, <laughs> small entrenchment in the Bombonera, and I want to win the a, home fans 2018. Over. Yeah, 2018 Libertadores cap might not go down too well. No, not not so much. So uh, yeah, I'll definitely be wearing as much blue as I can find in the uh, in the suitcase this evening. But yeah, it's a fantastic <laughs> opportunity to if if River drop points away against Atletico Tucumán, who I kind of should have let you say that really, Dave, because I know that's your favourite team name to say in South <laughs> American football. Um, then a Boca victory this evening against Gimnasia La Plata then Boca will be league champions and, and swiping it away from River, who have a one-point lead in the table on the last night of the season. Um, and then it all gets a bit crazy with the rest of the league table and the Copa della Superliga and Copa Superliga, or whichever one we're calling it these days. And yeah, save it for the Argentinian <laughs> podcast with Golazo, I think. But the important thing sure, is the sure. title's on the line tonight and Maradona's in the opposite dugout of the Bombonera as well, which would just be so perplexing for Boca fans if Maradona and his side get a late equaliser, say, and steal the title away from Boca and hand it to River, and then you've got a weird position of, well, Maradona's the king, but he's just taken the league title and given it to River, so do we love him? Do we hate him? Like, what happens here? So it's going to be interesting. Yeah. yeah, and hopefully I should say only that from La Bobonera a little bit later on, we'll see how it all pans out, but hopefully we'll be bringing you a little bit of content of Wilson and Windsor at the games, the first instalment of that. So that should be fun. Stay tuned for that uh, a little bit later on. But as for now, enjoy the pod. Putting it back to the edge of the box. Oh, that is an absolute scorcher. Matthias Enrique has never scored in continental competitions. He has now. Aranga pulls the trigger. Racing Club look like they're going to be the only Argentinian side to win in week one of the Copa Libertadores group stage. Dive in then at Group A. Yeah, let's start off there. Makes sense. Barcelona Independiente del Valle. For me, Oli, this was the standout result of the first round of group matches in the Libertadores. It really was. Because Barcelona was so impressive, and we talked about it so much last week, how impressive Barcelona were in qualifying. They beat Serra Portenio 5-0 in the third round of qualification over two legs. And Independiente del Valle just made them look so average. They had 70% possession in Independiente del Valle. And they also, and I know Flamengo had a, um, a player sent off, but Independiente del Valle at the Maracanã 
also had 70% possession. This is a special, special football club at a special time. And I'm just so excited what Independiente del Valle could do this year in the Libertadores. They could win it. Uh, they could win it. I really believe that. That's a big push. I mean, we started making some pretty bold statements about Barcelona, as you say, about a week or so ago. And... Um, <laughs> yeah, we you, you get excited in the moment and it's easy to react to a result like this. Uh, it's very impressive. There were quite a few away wins this week, to be honest, which obviously in the Copa Libertadores is quite surprising and the, and the manner of victory. But you, you'll still look at that Barcelona side from this week and say, look, first and foremost, they're starting with Fidel Martinez up front as the solo centre forward with Manuel Martinez and Brian Castillo, who's a, a more of a fullback than a than a wide attacking player. Um, alongside him so they were missing Alves who is the key man the pivot in that front line for them um, but at the same time you have to give the credit to Independiente Del Valle on the road Miguel Angel Ramirez isn't really changing the style of football that he's playing he's he's moving players in into this side that play in the same manner that he does like uh, like Fernando Guerrero I mean he's keeping Jon Sanchez out of the side at the moment and that's something pretty special because Jon Sanchez was one yeah. of the standout figures last year as as we've said before. So he's brought in and added to this squad. He's brought in quality that he knows will be able to play in this squad. And you saw a, a perfectly cohesive style of play where everybody knows what they're meant to be doing and everybody's kind of in sync. There were, there were very few moments during the game, because I was fortunate enough to be able to watch it all, um, or at least 70 minutes of it, where players weren't stood around going, hey, where, where are you? you're meant to be here or what's going on, which you sometimes obviously see. You know, Pejorano's pulling the strings and ordering people about, but people are kind of going there anyway. They know where they're meant to be and what they're meant to do. And then you've got a general like Pejorano who's able to control it all if it does start to go away. And he is so great to watch. I mean, he's 38 years of age now. He almost, he's playing the game almost at walking pace and he spends as much time kind of talking to everyone around him as he does actually with the ball at his feet. It's fascinating to watch. But I, I know what you mean, Ollie, about reacting really quickly and emotionally at times to really big results. And I certainly, a lot of people did that when Barcelona performed, you know, went to Asuncion and, and beat Sarah Portenio in that third round of qualifying by four goals to nil. And at that point, I thought Barcelona was so good. So to see it, this independent Del Valle side dismantle Barcelona was so, in such a manner was, was incredibly impressive. And um, yeah, I think uh, you mentioned the, yeah, I, I just think independent Del Valle this year and, and their, their boss are, uh, you mentioned the cohesion within the group and, the manager and the players are just so in sync. They're so calibrated with each other that it's uh, it's rare to see any level of football. And, and the Libertadores like this is, is just amazing. And he's he's got a kind of odds. I know you really like watching him on the touchline as well, Ollie, don't you? He's got that, you know, he's wearing a white hoodie the other day. Very, very animated, right on the edge of his technical area. And all the players obviously buy into what he wants 100%. Yeah, he, he lives and breathes what he's doing. And you can see that in every single way he reacts to anything yeah he's a pacer and I, I like a pacer up and down the touch like you know he stays inside the, the confines <laughs> of his technical area but he's always moving it's very few times maybe the first shot that you'll see of him on a on a game um when you're watching it on television you'll see him stood there watching and waiting but after that as soon as anything happens there's any moment he's like right let's get pacing let's get barking out the orders let's start adapting and, and that's the other thing that i like that he he does have we saw last year in the Copa Sudamericana. he's able to adapt and, and change and, and just make adjustments during a game. So um, look, do I think he'd go back to, to Spain and take a big job or anything like that? No, not necessarily. But what I do think is that you're, you're seeing a man who's certainly very much in his comfort zone and in control of the side that he's got right now. He's a, he's a great character. The other great character in this side is Gabriel Torres, who just plays like a great centre forward on this continent. His ability to know where the goals are and to keep his head down and ensure he makes good contact and know where he's putting it. I mean, the finish for the opener um, against yeah, Barcelona, this, it's just a wonderful, wonderful bit of movement and an excellent finish as well, going back across the keeper, slightly going away from goal uh, and guiding it in, as I say, without looking up. But his movement in general, he, he looks really up for the games that we've, uh, that, well, whenever I've seen him play. Uh, he was a live wire last year and uh, let's hope that continues and, Look, Fidel Martinez has got eight goals so far, but there are going to be some players that try and, especially if Barcelona have an early exit and as, as poor as they were going forward, there's going to be some players that will be able to try and catch him up and, and Torres could be one of them.
Yeah, and I think you're right to point out the fact that Barcelona didn't have Jonathan Alves, their, their big number nine, who's the focal point to everything. He's injured. He was injured and didn't play against Independiente del Valle. You take that one player out of Barcelona and they look incredibly ordinary and they didn't know what to do. But Independiente del Valle, they've shown it in terms of how they've continually shifted the squad, changed the squad a little bit. It's not the same side that uh, reached the final of the Libertadores back in 2016. It's not the same manager. But what this football club has done as a whole to continually evolve uh, it's, it's been like it's been incredibly impressive listen Ollie, we could spend an hour talking about Independiente del Valle and at some point maybe we will but um, yeah I mean what an unbelievable statement performance from them in their opening game of the Libertadores and sets them up really well for this group of death that's that's how it looked on the outset and that's how I still think it looks but uh, yeah a, a fabulous result for them Grupo de la Mueda is that what we'd say if we're trying to use really bad Spanish no, 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 I was just going to say, I know that there's other groups with uh, sides that have accumulatively won more trophies, but I still think from the outset, and it is the group of death, uh, just because the manner in which Barcelona came through qualification, the fact that Junior are a big club, and the fact that you've got you know, the Libertadores win- winners and the Sudamericana winners in the same group, which is amazing. And in, that, in the other group, uh, in the other game, sorry, I should say, Oli, in that group, of course, Flamengo... Went to junior and won. Um, I covered this game and I think it's important to, you mentioned earlier how difficult it is to win away from home in the Libertadores. There's some great statistic uh, that in the Champions League in Europe, I think it's one in three. uh, There's one in three games is an away victory and in the Libertadores it's something like one in four. So it is so difficult to win away from home. And just to further emphasise that, Flamengo, who were the best side in the tournament, who lifted the trophy last year, they only won once apart from the final throughout the Libertadores in 2020. Only won one away game, and that was away at San Jose. So it just shows how difficult it is. Uh, Flamengo, I thought they they showed their quality, they showed their class, and they, they won the game 2-1. And uh, yeah, it sets them up really well for the, for, for, the, for the coming games. Hello, hello. Glad to be back in the podcast. Um, especially glad that the Libertadores is back. Life feels a bit more complete now. Um, yeah, really good first game, especially away and especially given the fact that we were missing some key players like Rafinha, um, Rodrigo Caio, Bruno Henrique, Arão. You know, I think the team played really well. I think it was a classic away game for a, a Libertadores tournament, at times feisty. Um, I think Junior really gave us a run for our money. But yeah, I think we deserve that win. And it's really important, you know, these away wins because we've got a really, really tough group and some really, really tough games ahead of us. Um, as you could already see also in the Supercopa against the Valle and against and uh, in this first game. But yeah, uh, I think we'll finish first in this group and I think we're the favorites to win. Obviously, it's the Libertadores. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, there's so many different reasons as to why we could not win. But, you know, we did it last year. We've got pretty much the same squad, with the exception of Pablo Mari, and we added a lot of depth to the squad. Um, you could even see that during the game when um, uh, Jorge Jesus put uh, Michael in, or as you guys I'd say it, Michael. Uh, great pace, great assists, you know, made the difference. So yeah, I'm really, really excited for the season and uh, really excited to see your both analysis throughout. Have a good tournament. That was London-based Flamengo fan Pedro giving us his thoughts on Flamengo's opening group game. Now, I asked you after this game, I said, you know, what did you think in terms of the performance of Flamengo? And, and you said uh, Flamengo looked clearly dominant, but it was interesting at, at halftime in that game. Um, your co-commentator spoke to and he said, look, it's Junior are giving them a good go. It's a good game. You know, there's a bit of back and forth. Like statistically, you looked at it and uh, Junior looked like they were kind of level on pace at the at the interval, at least with kind of attempts and attempts on goal. And, and the Colombian side, I, I'd like to ask you in terms of how they play, because we know Flamengo, Barcelona and Independiente del Valle all play very attractive styles of football. They like to keep the ball on the deck and they, they like to knock it about and use penetrative passing. Uh, in, in quite an incisive manner. What about Junior, though? How do they mm. stand up in the way they play compared to the other three in this group? 
Yeah, it's quicker back to front. So the front two are Teo Gutierrez, who's a former South American Footballer of the Year, and Miguel Borja, who's obviously got who's got real pedigree and quality. So it's more about hitting the front two early. I wouldn't say it's long ball stuff, but it's just about moving it much quicker through the ranks. Whereas with Flamengo, you've got a uh, you know. Um, they've got Gerson or William Arau, or he was suspended actually, so Thiago Maia will just sit in between the two centre-backs and pick it up. Same for Pejerano for Independiente del Valle. But uh, no, Junior moved the ball quicker. Um, yeah, in the first half, Junior had opportunities. Teo Gutierrez missed a really, really good chance, actually, which would have made it 1-1, uh, which he, he, he didn't take. And if he does take, maybe it's a little bit of a different game, but I still would have fancied Flamengo to get the job done. One thing I think that's worth noting about this Flamengo side in the way they played is because Bruno Henrique was injured and William Arau suspended, they rejuggled things a little bit. And they actually had a back three, Gustavo Henrique, Thiago Maia and Leo Pereira as the back three. And then João Lucas, the young right back, filling in for Rafinha and Felipe Luis as, as the two wing backs, if you like. So that was something that we didn't see in 2019. And I don't, th- I don't think we will see if everyone is fit. But I just think the fact that Flamengo only won once away from home last year in the Libertadores and in the first group game they've won, playing that back three... I think that's given Georgia Jesus something to think about. He won't do it at the Maracanã, no chance. But away from home in the Libertadores, I don't know, you're away at River or Boca, maybe in the quarters or semis. It's something to look out for, definitely. And I should say, Everton Ribeiro scored a brace and uh, Teo Gutierrez got a, a consolation goal late on for Junior. But um, Flamengo safely through. And I suppose that's something, that's, up the three points. that's something for Flamengo in the ability to adapt. We were, we were talking about... Um, in the preview last week, you know, uh, Marcelo Gachado and the way he's able to adapt and change his style and, and how his Riverside approach games to, to be able to keep his team almost interested in the way they play. And that's something that Jorge Jesus is going to have to manage now because this team is, has reached the peak of the continent last year. They, they won this tournament already. So how do you keep that drive and yeah. keep that desire going and making adjustments like that? And, and as you say, you've got a young fullback now in Lucas who can, who can certainly fill in for Rafinha, maybe as a back three with two wing backs. With Rafinha and Felipe Luis's age, you can't play them in that way. But if you've got a younger mm. fullback on one side, at least you can use that width with a with a back three and the two wing backs to be able to be up and down the flanks a little bit more and, and allow play, players like Everton Ribeiro to to step inside. He's not really an out and out wide player. I've n- I've never seen him as that. Whenever I've watched Flamengo, Vitinho is though another young wide player. And it was interesting how he and Lucas were on opposite flanks. So you did have a bit of youth. Uh, and pace on each flank in in those two players in the way that they set up under Jorge Jesus this week. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I should maybe note is that uh, Gabi Gabi goal Gabriel Barbosa. He was if he doesn't if he's not scoring, he wants to get sent off. And it's probably something in the high. If you watch the highlights of this game, you won't see it. But there were just two or three little moments off the ball where he's left something in. It could have been a yellow there. Could have been a yellow there. Could have been a yellow there. And you know. It, <laughs> He's a goal machine, Oli. He's the the icon of uh, like Brazilian football almost at the moment, certainly internally. But uh, he's he's got a red card in him. He still has a red card in him, and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he picks one up in in twenty twenty. Is it a potential problem down the line? That mentality. It's always a problem. It's always a problem. I think it's the reason that probably that he's not playing in Europe. That's the only reason I'd say. And maybe his age, you know, he's still 23, 24, I think. But he's a little bit too old for some of the big European clubs to spend big money on. So, I don't know. I think it, we're at the point now with, with Gabby Gold is that's what you see is what you get. And, uh, yeah, I mean, what, 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 what can you do? Uh, we'll see what uh, what happens with Gabby Gold and Flamengo and the reigning champions at least getting off to winning ways. So, Flamengo and Independiente del Valle lead the group in Group A with three points each in Junior and uh, Barcelona. Uh, still waiting to get their first points of the tournament. Uh, group B, uh, Tigre, the second division side from Argentinian football, were hosting Palmeiras, which on visuals alone, the fans in Tigre looked fantastic. You know, they packed that stadium. It, it's a it's a fun journey for them to be a part of, I think, the six games. Uh, you know, there's an expectation for them to put out performances, not necessarily go through, maybe make the top three in the group and at least reach the uh, Copa Sudamericana. Uh, particularly with Bolivar in that group as well as Bolivian sides continue to struggle on this continent. But Palmeiras uh, against Tigre, the Brazilian giants were too good. But Tigre put in a really good performance. I mean, I've only seen the, the highlights uh, of this game, but the, there were a number of efforts on goal, the the like of um, Carvajal and uh, Melevillo. 
both had opportunities either side of the break to, to get Tigre at least on the scoreboard. It was just two fine efforts from Luis Adriano and Willian that, that did the damage for Palmeiras in a 2-0 away victory. Another away victory as well. Yeah, exactly. There's been a few this week unusually. Yeah, I think you're, you're right to, to further highlight the Tigre story and the fact that they're playing in the second tier of Argentine football. Um, yeah, and listen, but a club the size of Palmeiras that always expects to go deep, even though they haven't won it since 1999. Uh, you know, they, they would, have, of course, expected to go to to go to Buenos Aires and win, and they did just that. But uh, yeah, the atmosphere looked amazing. Uh, it was, it was, it's been really, really warm in uh, Buenos Aires recently, and there were some great shots, Ollie, weren't there? The, the sun just melting over the, the back of the stadium and the Tigo fans on their feet prior to kickoff. So, yeah, I'm sure they'll enjoy their other two home games in, in the group, even if it results in, in a couple more defeats, which it could well do. I think there's a chance for them to get a result against Bolivar. I, I was surprised. I thought this was going to be a complete whitewash. You know, Palmeiras go there, win 3 or 4-0 or something like that, even though it is on the road. Uh, and and the fact that Tigre were able to to hold their ground. I mean, they've got a wild goalkeeper in Marinelli, who in the final few moments of that game, you know, came out of his area, then tried to went on a little a adventure, yeah. sliding challenge out over towards the sideline before scampering back and almost getting caught out of the ball, hitting the crossbar as it was pinged back into the area. So they might might just want to keep an eye on that. But um, yeah, Tigre could be a little curveball to to find their way into the Copa Sudamericana uh, later on. But I think Palmeiras just showed that there is some. Uh, some real quality. Although Ronnie, who um, was an, a name, if I recall, last year, a lot of people kind of quite liked at least his uh, style of play in, in Palmeiras. He had, a, he had a horror miss of an open goal when the ball kind of dropped to him after it broke away from Luis Adriano and uh, he ballooned it over the bar from about 12 yards away, which is pretty shocking. But aside from that, yeah, Palmeiras looked pretty comfortable, I thought, in the opening group game. And then in the other game in Group B, Oli Guarani beat Bolivar 2-0. Um, listen, Guarani, this is another great story, isn't it? Coming through qualification in the manner that it did, uh, knocking Corinthians out en route and, and now winning their first game. And I've got to say, I just love watching Bobadilla play. So Bobadilla scored and so did, uh, well, Christian Baez scored an early penalty and then Bobadilla scored the second for Guarani. But they're just, uh, Bobadilla, he's just so physical, so dangerous. Uh, you know, he really leads the line really well. Rodney Redes is quality. Mm. They're obviously riding a bit of momentum. I love the penalty from Christian Baez as well. I know he scored uh, he scored one in qualification and he's just got that kind of, it's almost a no-step run-up. It's like a one-step run-up. He stutters a little bit, not in that horrible way that players do when they take 30 seconds to take microscopic steps towards the ball. Uh, the kind of new, and not the hop, skip and a jump that's kind of the 2020 Penenka or the 2019 Penenka. Mm. Uh, but he's got this style where he just, he just takes one step and then slots at home. Clinical penalty and yeah, Guarani, yeah, exciting story and they've, they've picked up three points. That's going to be the downfall of Bayes, that penalty style. Uh, you can love it. I hate <laughs> it. I absolutely hate it. it, it it's, it's is one step, except he, he throws in a couple of little shuffles. Ah, oh, no, I'm not having it. I don't like a one-step run-up anyway. Only Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, I think, has the power from yeah, a one-step yeah, run-up yeah. to be able to be uh, clinical from the spot. Baez is going to get caught out at some point because he's just relying on trying to send the keeper the wrong way, um, which is dangerous uh, for a centre-back to be doing personally. Uh, I've, I've got... I've got... There's four unusual types of penalties, Oli, right? There's the Penenka, which I loved and now I hate because it's overused. There's sure. the hop, skip and a jump, which I've only seen in the last ooh, year to two years, which I absolutely just hate. I don't think it works. I think it's crap. Yeah. Then there's the stutter, the kind of the Paul Pogba-like 100 little tiny steps, steps up to the ball. I don't see what that achieves at all. Don't like that. But I love the one-step run-up from Bice. And uh, yeah, I'm hoping to see it again throughout the tournament. Nah, we'll, we'll, I'll be having none of that thing. I'll be criticising it greatly if I ever get a chance to uh, cover Guarani again um, and they get a penalty. Uh, Ronnie Redes does look great as a, as a wide man coming in from the left flank and getting opportunities. Had a, a number of decent efforts once again. We've seen him find the back of the net a couple of times already in the uh, qualifying rounds. Um, but he's, he's a good little player uh, for sure. Had that thunderbolt actually against Palestino. He's got a vicious effort from range on him as well as being able to break in behind a defence. But it is all about... Uh, the big bad Bobadilla um, as the as the front man. I mean, it sounds like, uh, what was it? The Babadook. That was it in the horror movies. Like Bobadilla and the Babadook. It's just like a, he's a devastating monster up top. He, he's big. He's physical. He's a presence. He runs at defenders when he's got a bit of space, but he's also really good at holding up the ball from, from what we've seen so far this season at least. He's clinical in front of goal. He's a finisher. 
you know, he may be a big guy, but he, he's ruthless when he gets an opportunity. Uh, had an excellent goal uh, against Bolivar, who really didn't show too much, it has to be said, the Bolivian side. That's why I do think Tigre, if they can maintain the high level of performance and energy, should be able to get the third spot in this group. But uh, Guarani, very impressive at the uh, Estadio Nueva Oya in uh, in Asuncion, where they haven't lost yet. They haven't dropped, uh, they haven't even drawn yet in this competition. They've had Obviously, they went through every single qualifying round now with their opening group game here. At home, they're making it a nice little fortress for themselves. And that will bring them confidence as well. It's about getting the victories at home in these group games and then getting what you can away to separate yourself from anybody else in the, in the group. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and I, I, love, I love the stadium. It looks great as well, doesn't it? It's, uh, it's a real, well, it's, it's, yeah, it's a cauldron. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, group C? Yeah, um, Jorge Wilson against Colo Colo, I guess we could start with. The Bolivian side that actually sure. were able to do something against the Chilean side that last week we were, we were cooing a little bit about uh, Colo Colo, saying, you know, one of the big sides in Chile could certainly make an impact in this competition, particularly in the group with Peñarol and Atletico Paranaense, which we'll come on to in a moment. But it was the Bolivian side that were able to kind of put Colo Colo to the sword again quite convincingly from what I've seen. Yeah, it looked. I saw the highlights, and it looked it looked really comfortable. I thought Jorge Wolstermann, um Yeah, they looked in complete control. Uh, Pedriel scores and, and Cortes uh, late on with the uh, with the own goal. I think uh, the substitute was claiming it, wasn't he? But uh, it was uh, Balabian was claiming it. But yeah, it's, it goes down as an own goal from the keeper. Yeah, everything that I saw was was dominance really from Jorge Wolstermann. It's disappointing for for Colo Colo. Yep. Yeah, we just expect a lot more. Um, yeah, hard luck with the um, with the second goal, obviously, with the ball ricocheting off. The, it's one of those horrible ones that the keeper can't do anything about. Off the striker, off the crossbar, down onto the back of the keeper and in. There's no way that's not an own goal, uh, however much uh, Balivian wants to uh, to try and claim it. But um, no, very and good. And he certainly did. A very good result for uh, Jorge Wilson. And a result that, almost surprisingly, and I don't think, uh, I mean, it's not the same as obviously like, Leicester winning the league or anything like that but Jorge Wilstermann top of the pile in this group as well on goal difference right now over Atletico Panarinense who who hosted Peñarol and and you said earlier in the week you know things for uh, Diego Forlan in front in charge of Peñarol haven't exactly been going well domestically and they got completely outclassed by Atletico Panarinense they were never really in this game until very late on when they suddenly tried to you know chuck a couple of bodies up front and, and see if they could grab something to steal a, a share of the spoils. But far too little, far too late. Uruguayan Giants last year, and to start this tournament at least, looking very bang average, really, and maybe less than that. Yeah, and it, it's a shame, isn't it? I mean, I, you know, football moves on so quickly and the fact they haven't won it since 1987, it's, it's a long time ago. So I don't know why. I mean, obviously I do and everyone does hold you hold clubs up to the history that they've achieved before that won the Libertadores five times but yeah they disappointed last year and they were really disappointing against Atletico Paranaense uh, and Diego Forlan yeah listen it's really early days for him but early days doesn't mean much in South American football because clubs can be so ruthless and the, the shelf life of a manager is so so quick even if your name is Diego Forlan so you know he needs to pick up a few results uh, domestically just to give him a little bit of breathing space I think otherwise the Diego Forlan adventure at Peñarol might be uh, over over pretty quickly. It's a lovely goal, isn't it, though? It was uh, Nicao that created it and uh, Bisoli with the with the flick. Very, very, very clever. Nice. Yeah, a very uh, tidy touch as the ball runs across him and he just has the, lets it run between his legs and then a flick of the right heel just as it's underneath him to guide it into the far bottom corner. It's a, it's a lovely finish. I want to say, though, Thiago Helano is uh, an absolute magnet at, uh, at set pieces for Atletico Paranaense, particularly in this game. Uh, the number of balls that were kind of plonked on the big centre-back's head, he just finds a way to be physical and fair and win almost every aerial battle inside the opposition's 18-yard box. He struck the frame of the goal with one, could have had another one quite easily, wasted a couple of chances, really, that he probably feel he could have done better. Um, and Atletico Paranaense will need to try and work out a way to ensure they make the most of those sorts of chances because, you know, slender 1-0 leads... While it's all great to to control possession and to be on top, and especially on home soil, and have a one goal advantage, you know it's so like the Copa Libertadores for a side to suddenly pop up late on and find a way to to sneak a point on the road in in that sort of position. Atletico Paranaense could be 
could be caught out further down the line if they don't find a way to capitalize on the number of opportunities that they created because there were plenty of them and they just didn't they only took one in the end but luckily for them uh, one was enough for the brazilian side yep uh group d mr wilson and let's let's start with river the liga de quito beating river by three goals to nil there should almost be a little asterisk here that it was River Plate's B team, but there won't be in the history books. And, well, I mean, you, you cover the game. You, you can you can talk us through the game, but obviously only River Plate's attention for the first time, really, is on the Argent, for the first time under Garcia's reign, is on the Superliga because they are they could win the Superliga this weekend. And so he rested players for the Libertadores, even though generally it's the other way around. Yeah, it's, uh, you say there could be an asterisk. There should be a big old bloody asterisk over this whole game. I'd like to wipe it out from the River Plate history books if I could because it was quite fan- frankly pathetic, uh, the manner in which they went and set themselves out playing four central midfielders. They had no width whatsoever in their midfield for Lucas Prato and Julian Alvarez as the, the front two. Not a problem with that. You know, that could be a reasonably effective partnership at some point, except for the fact that Lucas Prato... It seemed to take exception to the fact that because he was involved in this starting eleven, that's a big sign for a man that is already rumoured to be potentially leaving the club in the near future. It's a big sign that he is surplus to requirements right now when it when it comes to that River Plate front line, and he, he he took it as a playing with a chip on his shoulder, but not in that positive way where he hustles about and, and gets everywhere and calls. No, he just stood there for ninety percent of it. He had twenty five, twenty six touches on the ball and did absolutely nothing with any of them. Um, Christian Ferreira uh, coming inside from the left flank, had a couple of efforts from range. I think he had five or so in the first half. One of them struck the frame of the goal and all of the others didn't really cause any sort of problem for uh, Gabarini between the posts for Liga de Quito. Uh, Carrascal wanted to come inside as well because he's an attacking inside player rather than playing out on the flanks. And then you had Santiago Sosa and uh, um, the age... I want to say ageless, but he's actually looked pretty aging on in midweek. Uh, Leonardo Ponzio in the heart of the pitch. There's no pace, there's no energy, there's no drive there from either of those two. And, and the other two men are trying to play a wide position that they're not used to playing. So, you know, it was a shambles. Franco Paredes making his debut for the club out at right back. He's a centre back. I mean, the only wide player they had was Angeleri. And you're asking one left back to do the whole job of providing some width and support to get balls into a front two. Just not, just not a... Yeah, look, Gashado wasn't even there. He had um, he was suffering with angina, so his uh, his assistant um, Matias Biscay came in and obviously replaced him on the touchline. He's never lost. Well, he has now, quite impressively. Liga de Quito were very good, but you don't get anything from what these yeah, two teams I mean, are actually like in the Liga. Oli, you've <laughs> sorry, okay. that was a rant. That like, was a rant. You've no, no, no. It it was a rant, but it was a good rant. And you, listen, you slam River. Let me defend them slightly. I mean. Uh, River have never won the Argentine Superliga under Gachado, right? And this is the chance to do so. This is a chance for him to complete the set. They go away to Tucumán uh, today <laughs> on Saturday uh, when we're recording this. And he knows he's got that opportunity. So he's resting everyone. He's almost throwing this game away at Liga de Quito so he can win the Argentine Superliga. And because he knows that River can get the job done in the remaining five games of the group, he's not worried about that. River will still qualify from the group. So for him, it's about managing the balance, managing the squad. Yeah, listen, it doesn't look pretty on paper, but in the fullness of time and in the fullness of 2020, you might look back on that and think, yeah, I get it. No, I, I completely understand it, except for the fact I still don't quite agree with the idea of um, you have to have two separate sides for watch, whichever competition you're going for. I also don't necessarily like the idea of, of resting uh, basically a full squad of players for a league game when actually, surely, after a slightly disappointing performance against Defensor Justicia, and I'm not telling Marcelo Gachado how to do his job, obviously, but you, no, of you, course. Want, you yeah, want those players it, yeah. to make amends and to go out and show that they need to put in performances that are better than that and chuck them in away in Quito uh, in the Copa Libertadores. That, that should get the, uh, the hairs on the back of the net rising again for these players and get them up for actually competing and far better than they did against Hernan Crespo's side in the league on the weekend before this game. So I understand why River are doing it. I just don't necessarily uh, agree with it as either a, a way to approach either competition. And uh, and I think, you know, there, there were a few River fans who were either based in Quito or Ecuador who had travelled to, to see the game. And, you know, you've let you've let those travelling supporters down as well, as well massively because River just never showed up. Uh, to Liga de Quito's credit, 
Uh, Marcus Casado had a wonderful overlapping partnership with the fullback, uh, Luis Ayala, on that left flank, um, as did Palaza and uh, Jose Quintero. Uh, Christian Martinez Borja looked very impressive as a, as a lone front man, big physical presence. He's been fantastic in the league with a brace in the first three league games of the season as we record this. Obviously, they play this weekend, Liga de Quito. Um, and, and he's probably going to get a fair few goals. And Antonio Valencia moving inside um, from the right fullback position to now play as a holding midfielder just to use that youth and uh, sorry that age and experience is a really nice idea because I've always liked his ability to, to move the ball on regardless of whether he's pegging it down the right flank in his heyday at Manchester United or whether he's distributing it around the field. So I think he can, he can still do that. Um, but it's not really a test for Liga de Quito, so it doesn't give us any idea. Uh, just finally on this, there are only four players for Liga de Quito who played in their last game in the Copa Libertadores last year, starting this game. That was Gabarini, uh, the two centre-backs, Rodriguez and Guerra, Guerra who got the opening goal, uh, and Antonio Valencia. For River Plate, there wasn't a single player that started the final last year in their starting eleven. So it, it was all change. It was all very new. And for River, mm. you know, change, like a good northern person, change was not good. So... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens yeah, in the rest Liga, of this group. <laughs> yeah, and Liga de Quito just showing that, uh, yeah, showing the transience, of course, in terms of uh, movement of players in South American football. Well, okay, River struggled. Uh, River struggled at altitude and lost, and so too did Sao Paulo in this group away at uh, Binacional. We discussed Binacional last week. This is a football club that's less than ten years old, which is just absolutely remarkable, and they're already starting to to add new chapters to. To, to what they've achieved so far. They've got the greatest crest, as we know, on the continent. Uh, Sao Paulo are three-time winners of the Libertadores. They've got, you know, they've spent big money. They've got Danny Alves, who I want to talk about in a little bit. They've also got Alexandra Pato and uh, Pablo. And so they've got, they got pedigree. Uh, they, took the lead, they took the lead through Pato on 20 minutes. But then in the second half, when altitude does tend to really kick in, and this is the highest altitude of any club in the Libertadores this year at 12,500 feet above sea level. And it really, really showed. Sometimes you can't really see it, but you really, really saw it. The Sao Paulo players were tired. And Binacional took full advantage with Rodriguez scoring the equalising goal and then Arango scoring a, a wonderful winner on 77 minutes to, to, to seal the three points. And a great moment, really, for Binacional. A great way to start the group. And, uh, wow, they just, <laughs> they just keep making new history. A sense from Sao Paulo, perhaps, that they went in there and underestimated both possibly the altitude but certainly the opposition maybe yeah I, I think I mean they had a lot of chances in the first half Sao Paulo and, and couldn't take them Pablo could have could have had a hat trick and, and and didn't take any of his chances so you know if they went in at the break 3-0 up then then they're going to go and see it out but I just thought the second half it was just a totally different story and obviously Danny Alves has come in He's the captain. You've got to play him every minute. But Sao Paulo had a, they made a couple of substitutions and some of the older players went off to bring on fresh legs in the second half to combat the altitude. And Danny Alves, you kind of had to keep on for the whole 90 minutes, I guess because he's Danny Alves, because he's the captain, because you brought him to the club. And he was... Oh, it's always sad seeing someone who's just... They're just not what they were. Like, I saw Danny... You know, if you follow European football, you saw Danny Alves at his absolute pomp. And the first time I saw Danny Alves play for um, Sevilla, I remember thinking, I've never, ever, ever seen a right... Seen anyone influence the game as much as Danny Alves can from right back. I've never seen it before. And uh, to see him play in midfield and kind of give the ball away, bark at the referee the whole time, silly challenges... He looked out of his depth, and apparently he's done quite well in the early uh, matches he's played in, in Brazil domestically, but this is the Libertadores, and it's a different animal, and I thought Danny Alves was really poor. Um, but it's all about being now, really, this result. Yeah, it's, uh, th that's the story. I mean, it's, it's probably the, the magical storyline of the competition so far, that Binacional their first home game in the Libertadores, and they, they take a real scalp. You know, Sao Paulo aren't a team to to underestimate at all you know they haven't been in the Libertadores now well last year of course uh, what the last one was 2018 in the competition I think but uh, and, and a side yeah, that yeah. has that has you know the experience of Pato and Danny Alves along with other names in it as well but uh but for being asked to do that and, and the manner as well coming from behind it's just just a wonderful wonderful moment for the competition and, and it's a shame that actually there aren't aside from outside of the uh, Wilson and Windsor Libertadores listeners it, it's kind of a shame that more people won't be kind of drawn to this sort of story because I think it's one that it's certainly English people would get behind in terms of backing the underdog and, and one of those kind of 
yeah, great moments in football in general. Um, it, it's impressive as well because uh, Ben Asinau lost, and I meant to mention this last week, and I can't remember if I did or not. Uh, Miyan, who was their kind of yeah, experienced goal scorer, and he was uh, he was the player last year uh, when they hosted Independiente in the Copa Sudamericana that really had the dream game moving for them. Bagged twenty three goals in the league last year, and uh, and you did kind of wonder without his experience after departing the team where his where's that going to come from where the goal's going to come from and Arango's finish he's just allowed to step inside step inside and keep coming to the edge of the 18 yard box he's an excellent strike uh, you can question the defending for sure but they, they've got a couple of players in that team and, and Aldair Rodriguez and, and Arango certainly showed that they've got some finishing form in that too yeah there's, there's, you know, they're not without quality and uh, certainly at home I think think you'll see that uh, wait away from home I, I really wonder but uh, yeah on, on home turf they're going to be a threat uh, Group E Oli I know you covered these games so um, I'll let you kind of take the lead with this Internacional great result for them yeah uh, a, a good result for Internacional without ever being overly impressive which has kind of been the story for Internacional throughout qualifying as well um, they're, they're a good side you know they uh, because D'Alessandro was sent off in the last qualifying game on his big night where he became the uh, Argentinian with the most number of appearances in the Copa Libertadores, he was suspended for the opening game and I think it was massively to Internacional's benefit. Marcos Guillerme came in, really lively 24-year-old. He's tidy, isn't he? He just yeah. sprints everywhere, absolutely everywhere. Nothing's done at walking <laughs> pace with him. and it's, it's great to watch. And the diagonal run of him playing wide on the right and then bursting into space on the diagonal movement gave... Uh, the likes of Boschilia and Edge Nielsen, a, a target to really ping onto, as well as, of course, Guerrero and Thiago Gallardo as the as the front two. Uh, they've got Gustavo now off the bench, who they brought in from Corinthians, who uh, who came on and, and looked lively as another centre forward as well. So they've got options in the front line. I just think they need to keep Marcos Guillermo's pace involved to ensure that uh, that there is an injection of life and it doesn't become too static, because that's what it was against Deportes Tolima when they hosted him in the last qualifying game. It was too slow and too static. But Guerrero's going to get goals. He's, a ju- he's just a finisher. He bagged two. Um, a very impressive second one, which he was able to slide under. I mean, Universidad Católica were kind of architects of their own downfall on a couple of occasions and were, were pretty poor, to be honest. Zan Pedri, their centre-forward, had no service whatsoever. Um, Fuenza uh, Lida, who was filling in at the right midfield role, um, was was fine and about and was trying to drive things, but he was let down, I think, by Edson Puch. They do have a very good, young, bright player called Cesar Munda, who was playing on the right of the, the front three, if you will. He's somebody to certainly keep an eye on, as is Ivan Sav, uh, Saavedra, who was um, a, a wonderful distributor in the heart of the pitch when Catolica did get going, but that was few and far between. An international deserving 3-0 winners in the end. Ten, ten minutes, three goals, 62 to 72 minutes, and job done on home soil. 40 games now, one loss in the Libertadores at home for Internacional. Wow. Wow, yeah, that's really impressive. And, of course, all all roads are going to re- uh, lead to the derby next week. Ollie. You covered the Gremio game as well, didn't you? So you saw them win 2-0 away at America de Cali. We mentioned last week Gremio's pedigree in this competition over the last three years has been absolutely fantastic. They won it in 2017. Three straight semifinals or better. Um, by and large, kept the same group, kept the same boss. Renato Gaucho, who definitely fancies himself a little bit on the touchline. Uh, how how good were they? Gremio were very comfortable away from home. I mean, the story was America de Cali and their absence from the Libertadores for 11 years. Sure. It's one of the biggest sides in um, Colombian football. Uh, there was a, a great story talking about them saying that they're the Flamengo of Colombian football right now, not only with their revival um, last year, uh, but also the, the number of points that they were suddenly able to pick up last year as they were very impressive in the league. I think it was 92 points in total over the two halves of the season. Just... Um, wonderful uh, domestically didn't translate though onto the big stage you know it was a party atmosphere that pretty much got turned down quite quickly when Gremio took control of the game they they weren't able to get service to uh, Michael Rangel up front Pisano the Argentinian hit the post which was their best chance of the whole game uh, Vigaro was disappointing on the other side of the attack Cabrera as the number 10 also poor best outlet from midfield was Carlos Sierra who had a couple of good chances one hit from range that was wide and one that forced a really good save from Mandalay the uh, Gremio goalkeeper but Gremio very comfortable Everton unimpressive but didn't need to be Allison was far livelier 
as the two key wide men in their attack. Uh, Diego Sosa was uh, fine as a centre forward. Good fortune for uh, Victor Ferraz's goal as the uh, the free kick from Lucas Silva just deflected off the heel of Diego Sosa and into the path of the right back who was clean through one and one and just tucks it under the uh, legs of the keeper. And uh, and then the second goal, Matias Enrique hits an absolute scorcher just after half time from the edge of the area. And that really sucked the life out of America de Cali, unfortunately. Uh, and Gremio cruising to a victory. So uh, both Brazilian sides, good without being great. But what is going to be great is when they meet at Grêmio uh, this coming Thursday. That's going to be great. And who do you fancy? Oh, I don't know. Um, I think Inter are probably, uh, Internacional are probably a better defensive side and they're still missing yep. a few key members as well. So I think they might be able to, unless Grêmio raise their game, which I imagine they would try to, I think Internacional have got a really good chance of getting at least a point on the road. Yeah, I'm going to back into still. I've still got an, uh, a bit of an affection for them as well from last <laughs> year. And, and Patrick should be back, which will be a big uh, a big addition to the starting eleven as well because his, his presence is, is surely missed at this point out with injury. Okay, well, yeah, really big game uh, next week in that group in Group E. Uh, let's move on to Group F, Ollie. And yeah, yeah the, the four, yeah, go for it. Well, Alianza Lima against Nacional, um, the Peruvian side that were really disappointing last year, albeit in in that tough group with River and Inter Nacional who uh, who went through. Um, but Lima, Alianza Lima, I mean. 11 seconds. You, start, you can't start a couple of Dodores campaign on home soil and concede after 11 seconds. It sets a quite terrible tone, I think, for the rest of your competition, particularly against a side like I Nacional of Uruguay. And you were saying that you, uh, to the best of your knowledge, Ollie, the, the quickest goal ever scored in the Libertadores is six seconds, right? Yeah, six seconds. Back in like the 1970s, if, I, if I'm correct. Right, okay. But we're, we're, we're yeah, getting close. Seconds, we're, get, uh... we're getting close. I mean, 11 seconds isn't that far off it when you when you think about it. And and again, no. it, it's a goal that comes from just an, a complete hash. Uh, Rodriguez has the ball fall to him kindly because the, the back three of Ali and Salima just start throwing out really weird body shapes, trying to clear away a long ball that's pumped <laughs> towards their 18-yard box. I mean, it's just so unnecessary. And, and it drops kindly to the feet of Rodriguez. He bundles it home. And uh, Ali and Salima did very little for the remainder of this, to be honest. Nacional didn't have to do much. They just had to defend their lead. They'd have happily taken a point, I'm sure, taking three on the road, another away win to start the Copa Libertadores. Yeah, uh, it's, it's unbelievable how bad you can be in such a key moment as starting the tournament. And it, it, it set the tone for the game, really. And Racing, mate. Racing went away to Estudiantes de Merida and they eventually won 2-1. I know you covered this game, so... You can kind of talk us through it, but a couple of latish goals from Racing getting the yeah, job done. Yeah, a, not a conventional victory for Racing Club. 2-1 on the road against Estudiantes de Merida of, uh, of Venezuela. The Argentinian side actually trailed just after half-time. A lovely ball from um, Daniel Linares, or uh, sorry, Christian Flores, finding uh, Jose Rivas at the back post, who actually gets a really good bit of fortune in that he tries to initially thinks about heading it, but the ball hangs in the air and drops down to a level where he can't, use his boot and he can't head it so he just chucks a thigh at it awkwardly and because it's his thigh it takes the sting out of the ball and then it just drops underneath Gabriel Arias so his kind of awkward momentum of, of bundling it home was probably the reason why Arias didn't have a chance to get a touch on it so it's a we'll say that he chose it and it's a fine finish from the forward but uh yeah a few question marks about that he and Arake played really well Christian Flores and Daniel Linares were really good on the left flank too. Messi Doro had um, the Argentinian player who had a lot of talk about him as a youngster, a former Boca player, who's ended up bouncing around South America out on loan and never really cut the mustard and has made his first kind of permanent move to Venezuela, to Estudiantes de Merida. Um, was very good at times. Uh, Mauricio Martinez, the centre-back for Racing Club, twice in the first half, trying to be very casual and play it out from the back. And whenever Racing Club did that, they got caught in possession. And to the point that the defenders were telling Gabriel Arias, the goalkeeper, you know, stop giving it to us and lump it forward. And Messi Doro had an opportunity to go round the keeper, was just too slow in doing so. And Arias stood his ground really well uh, and was able to make a save. But as the second half wore on, Racing Club got a little better, a little more confident. Uh, Matias uh, Zaracho was uh, wasting opportunities, really good opportunities, as he played a, a nice little bit of interplay in the first half with Lisandro Lopez, the experienced striker. But eventually he got the winner 
after Nicolas Raniero bundled home the first on 71 minutes. Zaracho with an unintentional assist, swinging at a loose ball, and it just falls onto the head of uh, Raniero, who's two yards away from him, and it goes into the back of the net. And then, yeah, Zaracho played in behind as uh, the Venezuelan side just switched off at the back in the last 20 minutes and um, uh, gave Mena about four yards of room on the top of the six-yard box, and he just passed it to Zaracho, who was equally open in space. I mean, it was just unbelievable, absolutely cataclysmic defending, and they've only got themselves to blame, Estudiantes de Merida, for, uh, for not picking up anything in their first group game. Ollie, now might be a good time. Um, we got a, a little a little note from our friend Lucas, who is a racing season ticket holder. Uh, yeah, he followed the club very, very closely over the past few years. And uh, yeah, Lucas was at the game, goes to all the games. And these were his thoughts about racing in terms of their first Libertadores group game and also in terms of their potential in the tournament. Well, it wasn't a typical match. Both teams had many scoring chances but they failed in the definition. The main difference was that Racing was imposed by the experience of players like Lisandro Lopez, ex-player and idol of Porto team from Portugal, and also the Chilean players like Mena and Arias. They were very solid at defense, and also Mena was a great figure of the night with his overflow and daring to play. But we know that this is football. Racing was order, more ordered than Merida, and in the second half was able to specify what he was looking there, the three points. And it was like this. Racing won the match and earned these values three points. Merida relaxed and cost him this feat. Um, a part of this, I will tell you that Saracho, future promise of the world football, every day he plays in, is improving his technique. He's a complete player, and I am sure he will go far. Signature Lucas Colombres. <laughs> um, when the game finished, and like every club fan, I think, I am... I trust in this club, so I am sure that we are going to qualify to the next round. And I am encouraged to say that we are going to get far in this tournament, in this edition. We have a solid base of players with experience and also we had young players. Serious people with a, an excellent predisposition to work and achieve success. We have to remember that these players have already won titles and entering to the fight of Racing is different from all. Although we have to improve some things, dream costs nothing. Thank you very much. Right, on to Group G, Mr. Wilson. Oh, just, uh, which just, is a group with Santos. Yeah, yeah, go for it, go for it. Just finally, Becca Sese, the Racing Club manager, making a real push for the best dressed in the Libertadores right now. Grey with thick white pinstripe suit. I mean, it's a strong look down on the sideline. One to keep an eye on. He's it's trying a to strong replicate Gashada. It's, it's a terrible look. It's a terrible look. <laughs> look, you can like your no, penalties, Gashardo... I like my suits. <laughs> Gashada makes it work, whereas... No, I, I, uh, there was, I think there was a bit of ankle... There's been so much ankle showing this year in the 2020 Libertadores. I noticed <laughs> there were some daring choices throughout qualification with incredibly high trousers. Not just ankle, you're showing kind of lower calf with these trousers. It's, uh, yeah, it's a trend, something to, to, to very much keep an eye on in 2020. Uh, Windsor on ankle watch for the remainder of this competition. I like that. We'll try and, <laughs> we'll try and find Gladly. some more daring managers. Um, yeah, crack on with Group G, mate. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, uh, well, I only saw the highlights of defence uh, Justicia against Santos, but once again, it was one of those atmospheres um, for the Argentine club, of a club that is just great, the atmosphere around the ground and in the ground just looked like it was so grateful to be part of this platform. Obviously, they're comparatively smaller club defender Justicia against Santos, which are, you know, a big name in Brazilian football. And so, yeah, the atmosphere just looked amazing prior to kickoff and defender Justicia got their moment as well in stoppage time at the end of the first half with Rodriguez scoring. But two late goals for Santos saw them pick up all three points in this uh, first group game. But 
Yeah, defensive Justicia at home, certainly. Uh, yeah, some of the shots looked uh, looked wonderful prior to kickoff. Yeah, so a three-time winner of the competition going to a, a competition debutant. It was always going to be tough for defensive Justicia, uh, led, of course, by the uh, very popular figure and recognisable figure of Hernan Crespo. Um, they yeah, had, again, who has won it, of course, as a player. Yeah, yeah, and, and he was speaking before the game about how he needed to impart that wisdom into his side. Now... I'd say, to his credit, he probably did do that because they, they went out and put out a decent performance um, for large parts of the game. They, they had plenty of chances, uh, got their goal, as you say, through through Rodriguez. and um, it, But it was never... You never seemed likely that Santos weren't going to get back into the game. And, and it was changes from the bench and uh, a wonderful number 10 pulling the strings in the middle of the park, Soteldo, uh, who was really the, the catalyst providing the opportunities for, for the substitutes, uh, Kyle Jorge and uh, Hobson, who, who got the two goals relatively late on that, that pulled Santos through this. And it's a, another win on the road. One in four, were you saying, Windsor? One in four games won on the road this in the Libertadores in, on his, average. His, historically, uh, no, historically, yeah, it's like one, like 33%. In the Champions League, it's, it's about one in three. About one in three in, in the Libertadores, it's about one in four wins on the road. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, this week might have smashed that statistic to pieces, but uh, previously coming into this year, that was the case. But Santos, um, they'll be looking to to stretch their legs in this group. I think we said that last week that they'll they'll really fancy topping this group, um, and they won't be too worried. I don't think by what they saw in the other game, Olympia against Delphin. No, pro- no, probably not. Um, yeah, one apiece to score, and yeah, you look at. The, I think it's de- well, it's definitely one of the weaker groups. I think in in the Libertadores, I, even though Delfin, Ecuadorian champions, and Olympia have pedigree, but in terms of actual quality, I think Santos should be fine in the group. Yeah, Roque Santa Cruz missing a couple of chances. Adebayor coming on off the bench. I mean, we're all, I think, on this podcast, kind of on a mini Adebayor watch this year of how he is going to play and how effective he's going to be. Um, in terms of Delfin. An own goal inside five minutes doesn't really start the tournament well for them, uh, but solid to pull themselves back into it. But I don't think either side really impressed. I mean, there's two pretty average teams from what we saw, which is a slight disappointment for the Paraguayans because we were so impressed by the the style of their football last year. And maybe, I mean, it's it's one game, so we can't judge, as we said at the very top of the show, can't judge everything on on one 90-minute performance. But maybe it's not going to be the Olympia side that we kind of, piggybacked a little bit last year yeah and I think well let's let's see Adebayor start the next five games surely like I can only assume he wasn't up to to fitness so he hasn't started the first game but he's been brought in for the Libertadores he's a man in Adebayor like I want to see him start clearly I have no idea about his fitness levels or how he's played in training or anything like that but uh <laughs> yeah we he, he's, he's got to start alongside Roque Santa Cruz that's the story and we want we want to see it there was me thinking it was Mondays in Asuncion for you, checking out Adebayor in the in Monday <laughs> training with a notepad and everything, old school style. Well, he must have been pretty poor in training, I think, not to not, not to get the <laughs> nod, considering they brought him in. Uh, Group H, Mr. Wilson, uh, should we talk Boca? Because we are wandering off to La Bombonera a little bit later on today. Yeah, first bit of uh, Wilson and Windsor at the grounds content should be uh, finding its way out and about in the next few hours or so as we get to see Boca uh, one point off River Plate going into the final game of the season uh, at home against Gimnasia La Plata, led, of course, on the, in the dugout at least by the iconic figure of uh, Diego Armando Maradona. Uh, Maradona could be the party pooper this evening. So, yeah, and Boca have had this week their attention, much like River, on the league. Number of players rested, yeah. still a decent side put out and a side that they would have expected yeah, to was. win in Venezuela against Caracas, but wasn't the case. Yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, there's still this final round of games in the Argentine Super League where Boca and River can both win the league. So there's been rest of rotation. But Boca's rest of rotation, as you mentioned, it wasn't a complete B team. It was, uh, it was some, you know, a, a lot of the starters as well. Uh, it's a long trip. Their eyes on the Super League. Boca are going to qualify from the group. I don't think it's a, te- I think of the fullness of the group, it's not a terrible result. But if you're a Boca Juniors uh, supporter, then yeah, going to Caracas. And only getting a draw is pretty disappointing. Um, I love the goal from from Ramon Abila. Villa played the ball into him, and it's just this snap strike from Abila. Real poacher's goal. Uh, absolutely fantastic. He also had another goal incorrectly ruled out for offside and a chance right at the end to win it. Uh, Hernandez scored a wonderful free kick for Caracas, who weren't terrible. 
Um, you know, they popped the ball around a little bit. I thought Contreras showed a bit of quality. Hernandez was lively. Uh, Echeverria worked the lines really well. So Celis hugged the touchline and was, was pretty neat and tidy. So, yeah, I don't know. Caracas, not a bad side. Boca with the point. Uh, it's, it's not a game that will go down Libertadores history, but a half-decent point for Boca ahead of the big one tonight against Gimnasia at La Bombonera. In terms of Boca... Uh style of football uh, more aesthetically pleasing under Ang uh, Miguel Angel Russo the the new boss as opposed it to Alfaro last year that was obviously very defensive in this, uh, particular game yeah of course like Alfaro was just defensive home and away no matter who the opposition was whereas I think this was more a bit more pragmatic and let's just get a point and and leave and getting a point in your first round of group games isn't isn't too bad but no they weren't expansive Oli uh, it's probably pretty harsh to judge them on this on this game uh, you know, with the rest of rotation and the fact that they have taken a point, but uh, no, they weren't particularly expansive. That's that's the honest that's the honest view. I need to see more Boca tonight and going forwards to to really create that comparison between the defensive nature of Alfaro and, of course, under Russo, what they're going to be, what this you know what Boca are going to be in in 2020. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they develop from this and and if Caracas again can uh, can at least start getting better results at home to give themselves a chance in. And again, what's a relatively competitive group, of course, so you imagine it'll be Caracas and Independiente Medellin uh, battling for third and fourth in the group, while Libertad and Boca fight it out for the top spot. Uh, and Libertad on the road against Independiente Medellin, getting a 2-1 victory. Hey, another road victory. What, what do you know? I mean, they keep cropping up this week. <laughs> and, the, uh, and the Paraguayans doing what they needed, well, didn't necessarily need to do. I think there's probably a lot of people that would have said Libertad getting a point would have been a fine result, a good result for them. So to get three points away from home sets a, sets a good tone early on again for the group and puts puts pressure on Boca early on, which again, I feel if you're going to battle Boca for the top spot in the group, it's a very good position to put yourself in early. Yeah, absolutely. I actually think it's a it's a worse result for Independiente Medellin than it is a very good result for Libertad because, as you say, a point kind of would have been okay for Libertad, I think, away in Medellin. But this Medellin side that came through qualification, uh, they knocked out Atletico Tucumán on penalties in the third round to get to the group stages. And they've got some interesting footballers. I really like uh, Javier Reina. I think he's he's tidy. He's quite interesting. Caicedo is the central number nine, uh, offers a, a great focal point. Recalte can be dangerous, so they'll be disappointed to lose uh, but Libertad yeah coming through 2-1 winners uh, Bocanegra scored the opening goal just after 3 minutes Cardoso uh, made it 2 and then Mario on 59 minutes uh, to, to get what proved to be just a consolation in the end for Independiente Medellin so that's the wrap up of all the games I mean that's a pretty healthy slog right there Windsor um, any major standouts for you from what you've seen in the first week of people that have surprised you that that or anybody that's kind of really disappointed for you? Um, I'm going to go back to... The, uh, there's a few disappointments for sure, but I think I'm going to go back to... And I know this is in contrast with what I said last week, because I really thought Barcelona would put up a really good fight in in the group of death. But I just... Having watched now Independiente del Valle go away at the Maracanã and go away to this free-flowing Barcelona side and twice have seven, over 70% possession... And okay, they lost at the Maracanã, but I just independent of I thought were absolutely exceptional. Um, and I thought Flamengo looked really good as well. So yeah, the, all eyes will be on that group. And they, for me, that was the best result. Independent of I going there and winning three 0 was caught my eye the most. You? Uh, yeah, I mean, give me give me a more hipster. Well, yeah. Independiente del Valle is is the one I'm backing because I've got I've got history with this. So uh, that I mean, yeah. that's the standout <laughs> result of the competition so far. In terms of elsewhere, I don't know. I mean, I was in, I was actually very impressed by Estudiantes de Merida, who just collapsed in the last 20 minutes. And if they can, again, keep up a level of that performance, they're a fun side to watch. Uh, aside from that, you know, the Brazilian side's got the job done. It was a really poor week for the Argentinian teams, with only one team uh, from Argentina winning in the opening, opening group. Uh, Atletico Paranaense, I think I'd say, uh, although against a Peñarol side that didn't play well, the convinc the convincing victory, even if it's not by the scoreline, but in the manner of victory, I think is uh, a nice sign for them that, again, they're going to be there and thereabouts this year, particularly going through and out of the uh, group stage, for sure. There'll be group winners in that group. But no, nothing nothing aside from Independiente Del Valle has really caught the attention. I think a lot of things went perhaps as you, as you feel they should and would have. Mm. 
Should we have a quick rundown of the, the games that are coming up? Just run through them very quickly for, sure. for week two. Sure. Uh, all starts on Tuesday with Universidad Católica against America de Cali. Santos uh, hosting Delphin and Bolivar hosting Tigre before in the evening. This is where the games get really good. Boca Juniors against Independiente Medellin. Libertad against Caracas, but Palmeiras against Club Guarani is a big one in that group uh, in Brazil. That's the pick of, pick of Tuesday. Yeah, pick of Tuesday night for sure for me. Uh, and then Peñarol uh, and the earlier kickoffs against Jorge Wilston. And that's a big opportunity for Peñarol to start changing the narrative around their season and particularly after the poor performance. Uh, these are on Wednesday, by the way. Colo Colo of Chile taking on Atletico Paranaense. River Plate against Deportivo B Nacional. No fans uh, behind closed doors, River Plate. Nothing to do with the coronavirus. But um, yeah, that will be interesting for B Nacional because that, again, just gives you... If River win the league... Did Binassi now have a better chance of getting a result on the road than if they don't win the league and River somehow let it slip through their fingers tonight and and then suddenly there's a real aggression from from River to go out and rewrite some wrongs? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think River played a couple of games behind closed doors. You know, they're used to it. They played a couple of games behind closed doors at the start of last year's competition. It is weird. That's the only word to describe it. It's very, very weird. I think it's something we are. You mentioned the coronavirus. It is something we are going to see in and around European football, worldwide football over the next few months. Uh, it, but listen, uh, regardless of whether River win the league or not, they're going to play their, their best side against uh, Binacional, so they should win. Uh, then the Obviously. evening, the evening kickoffs on the Wednesday again, cracking set of games. This Independiente del Valle hosting Junior, uh, Olimpia hosting Defensa y Justicia, uh, Flamengo hosting Barcelona, and Sao Paulo hosting Liga de Quito. Though all of those, I think, are very good watches for various different reasons. And then finally on the Thursday, mm. Nacional of Uruguay take on uh, Estudiantes de Merida, Gremio, and Internacional. Of course, at nine o'clock is the key tie. Uh, and Racing Club against Alianza Lima, wrapping it all up for next week. Yeah, big thanks there to Windsor, as always, uh, on the podcast for uh, guiding us through all the Libertadores games. We will guide you through all of the Copa Libertadores 2020 here on the show throughout the year. If you want to follow any of us on Twitter, you can. O underscore J underscore Wilson is where you'll find myself. At David T. Windsor is where you can find David. Uh, you can find Peter at Golazo Argentino on Twitter. And Joel Richards is Joel underscore Richards. And we will be finding Joel from wherever he's hiding himself around South America to talk all things uh, South American football with him at some point. Uh, big thanks. Remember to send us your questions for anything on South American football with the hashtag Copper Libertadores pod. And until next week, enjoy all the games, enjoy all the action. And hopefully we'll be seeing perhaps Boca lifting the league title in front of us at the Bombonera on Saturday evening. Until next week. Enjoy. <laughs>